You're listening to season two of Love Life Millennials. Have a listen and enjoy. All right. In this week's episode, we will be taking a break from talking about love. Sometimes you just really can't stop, huh? Once you start talking about relationship, I guess it's just this human nature that we just want to know more and more about social dynamics, about how we interact with each other, and how we court with one another. However, in this week's episode, I will still be bringing a little bit of this interpersonal relationship element. Although that would come in a different context. Well, if you click play after looking at the title, then you probably know that today we will be talking about poker. Yes, I mentioned in my episode about my 2021 resolution that I've I've been taking a liking at poker recently as a game, and I've been so fond of it. I play it every now and then. I watch YouTube videos about it, and I just try to learn about this stuff. I mean, it's like typical me when I start to like something that I would just want to know everything about it. So I've watched countless and countless of YouTube videos, trying to make myself more knowledgeable about the game. Partly because, of course, it feels good, right, when you win some money, but also partly because I know I am so into analyzing and observing people's behavior. And poker is just about all that game: being observant, knowing when to take the risk, knowing when other people don't want to take the risk, and taking advantage of that. I mean, that's there's just so many complexities to the game that it's somewhat addicting. Most people would call this game gambling, and I understand because this game exists in casino, so it should probably a gamble, right? And yes, there is luck involved. No matter how good you are, you will always be beaten by luck. Which in the poker world we call it bad beat, but the intricacies of playing and knowing your statistics and also looking at other people behave—it's just an—it's just like a new world for me. It's just like this. It's just like my world, you know. I used to think that I'm a risk-averse person, but <laughs> I guess the fact that I buy stocks and I also play poker kind of tell you that you know I must admit that I am quite the risk taker, apparently. So anyway, after playing the games initially for recreational purposes, and now after some massive digging and research and studying about how to play the game properly, I just feel like I want to share with you the kind of thoughts, what I feel, why I feel there are so many things that you can learn from poker that you can apply to real life as well. I know it sounds like bullcrap, but just follow me along, okay? Having said that, I should. Probably tell you that it would be very hard for you to understand what I'm about to say if you have completely no idea how to play poker. So if you don't know the game, then probably you will just have to nod your head and just accept whatever I say. <laughs> But this will make much more sense if you know how to play poker. By saying knowing how to play poker, then I assume you know what I mean when I say position, dealer button, small blind. Big blind, call, fold, re-raise, and then range. Yeah. <laughs> If all of those names are familiar to your ears, then you have successfully qualified. Congratulations. But for those of you who don't know how to play, just a very, very quick and simple introduction. 
Basically, each player will be dealt two cards, and then the table will present to you five cards, divided between three turns. The first one is called the flop, three cards. The next one is called the turn, the fourth card. The last one is the fifth card, which is called the river. And between each turns, player will be able to bet. Now, if you want to stay in the game, then you have to call the bet, or you have to fold if you don't want to be in the game, or you can also re-raise the bet to a larger amount. And each action is supposed to tell you, or at least tell your opponent, the strength of your hand. Because in the end, you will be making the best five cards combo. It can either be a nothing, it's just like a each one card hand, or it can be a double pair with a kicker, it can be a trips, it can be a full house, it can be a straight, it can be a flush, it can be a straight flush, it can be a four of a kind. Every kind of hand is possible. That's why the only way for you to know the probability of what your opponents have is for you to bet. Okay, so yeah, that's the kind of the game that we play. That's why I don't usually want to play the game if without any money. Because if you don't play with real money, then all of those rules do not apply. People will just call no matter how much you raise because, well, you don't involve any money. So there is no fear involved in the game. And fear is a very important factor. Because as I said, it will help the opponent to interpret how strong they are when compared against you. So anyway, I will assume that you know the basic idea of how to play the game. Right, so I won't say that I am the best player at the game. I'm also still learning. But after searching and searching and searching the internet, I think I have found a more optimal way to play the game. So here's some tips and tricks that the internet has taught me. First is we want to be selective with our cards. We don't want to play all cards, but we want to be playing those cards that will have a higher probability to hit a good combo. So, for example, you wouldn't really play 9 and 2 offsuit. Because first, 9 and 2 do not connect with each other. You either hit the 9 or you either hit the 2. And the fact that it's offsuit means you also don't have a probability to hit a flush, right? There's no probability as well for you to hit a straight because it's 9 and 2. Vice versa, you would really want to play an ace-k because first, ace and k, even if it just hits one pair of the board, it's already strong for most of the time. So in general, it has more equity if you compare 9-2 and ace-k. By being selective with our cards, we are being resourceful with our money because every poker game will collect a certain amount of money for every turn. This is what we call the blind. Those in the small blind will be forced to pay half the price. Those in the big blind will be forced to pay the full price, whereas the others, they're optionals. You can play or not play. So in this sense, if you're not in the small blind or in the big blind, then you, you can easily throw away your hands when it's not good. For example, the 9-2 offsuit that we just talked about. Why would you risk putting your money in with a lower probability of hitting anything? Vice versa, if you think you have an ace-k, you would want to be in the hand or even raise the bet so that lower equity cards like 9-2 will fold right away. Because even if you have ace-king, ultimately, if you don't hit anything, there's always a small chance that the 9-2 will hit, right? For example, if the board is like 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, the 9 will win against you, ace-k. So this is where the luck factor comes in, because even though it is a small probability, it's still a probability, right? So a 10% versus 90%, most of the time 90% will win, but sometimes the 10% will win either way. Which is why a lot of people think poker is gambling, because, you know, again, 
there's always some luck factor involved. And another reason why we want to be selective with our cards is because let's say even if we hit 9 pair, but if other player have 9 ace and you have 9 2, when you go heads up with this person, you will still lose because he has a better kicker than you. He will dominate you with his ace high instead of just 2 high. So by being selective with our cards, we can approach our hands later on with a better odds and with better confidence that you can bet. If you have ace 9 and you hit the top pair, you know that you will have the best kicker, right? Which is why we want to be selective with our card, throwing it even before the flop. Just don't play it and play with better premium cards. Next is the position. So aside from small blind and big blind, the table will have a button that keeps rotating. And the button is called the dealer. Basically, the dealer button will allow a player to act the last. And acting the last gives you advantage because you will be able to see what the front players do before you. It gives you more data, right? If you're not in the dealer button, then let's say if you play five players, if you sit in the third, means you have seen two players play, but you still have two other players behind you and you don't know what they will do. You don't want to ignore them. But if you're in the fifth position, then you already see the actions of player number one and player number four and you can act accordingly. So in poker, you want to make the most informed decision as possible. It's just like stocks, you're involving your money inside. Sure, there are probability, but you want to make the best bet out of all the data that you have collected. So if you still remember when we talk about premium cards, 9-2 versus Ace-K, there are actually more variations to your starting hand. In poker, if I remember correctly, there are at least 1,360-something possible combinations of how you will get your two cards as your starting hands. So what the pro players will do is they will divide, they will categorize all those hands into first class, second class, third class, fourth class. So what this means is that if you're sitting in front, if you're sitting as player number one to act, you will even throw away all those third class cards or fourth class cards because you can't risk it. If you play those third class cards, then there's always a chance of other players having a better hand than you and you will always be out of position. This means that they, they will always act after you and that's very disadvantageous for you. Vice versa, if you are in the dealer button where you act last, then you are actually a little bit more allowed to play those third class or fourth class cards. So this will give you more room for you to play, right? Because even if you don't hit anything, if everybody's being passive, you can always try to induce a bluff and take the money, something like this. Okay, that's so number one is selective. Number two is know your position and your range of hands. And then the third is to be aggressive. So I think most people do not like aggressive players and aggressive plays in general because usually these people will bet very huge and will have the higher tendency to go all in, all in, and people just don't like when they are being raised. But I've come to realize that after some playings of my own and also looking at live tournament games, usually those who bet first will have the better advantage. Why? Because when you bet, you will gain the first move. When you bet and other people fold, then you kind of know that, okay, he has nothing, which is why he folded. And if people call, then you kind of know that, okay, maybe he has something to do with the board. 
maybe he hits a pair, maybe he hits a flush draw, or maybe he hits a straight draw, or maybe he is actually better than me, he has an over pair. For example, if the board is 5, 7, 8, and you have an 8 high, so you bet and then people call, then maybe some of them already have the straight, or they're waiting for the straight. If the board has suit cards, then maybe they're waiting for the flush. So all of these will go through your head, and only by betting, you will be able to eliminate, right? By process of elimination, you kind of try to guess what those people have. Of course, as you go to more professional plays, we have players who just call even without any hand. This is called floating, just to create this impression that they have something to do with the board. But this is more like a higher level kind of play. But most people in average, they will only call if they have business with the board. So by being aggressive, you have this advantage, you have this information. Whereas if you think from the other side, if you are being raised, even when you call, it tells you nothing. When you're being raised, that person is making a statement, yo, I have a better hand, do you want to call me? <laughs> Which is why sometimes the more preferential response to being raised is to re-raise. So now the situation is changed. You're basically saying to this guy, you think you have a good hand? Well, I have better hands, are you calling? <laughs> so you're trying to have the lead, you're trying to have this control of the flow of the game. Having said that, even when I tell you that being aggressive is important, you also have to be cautious, right? Because every time you race and then people just call, then you kind of have to know when to pause. Like, okay, maybe I should just check it. I should just do nothing and see if they would raise me. However, I would stick to my own argument that in general, raising gives you an advantage. Okay, and then lastly, the fourth point is be unpredictable. If every game of poker you play really honestly, and everyone also does that, it will be so boring, right? You will have to wait until you are dealt pocket aces, pocket kings, or you will only play when you have the best hand, like, you know, you have the nuts. It will take you so, so long, and it will be very frustrating because there's always just that one day you are dealt with trashes for four to five consecutive hours, and you're just like, oh, I'm so done with it. It happened to me and I was so angry, which is why being unpredictable is very important. Maybe you can induce some bluff, you can always try around to do some weird plays just to confuse your opponent. The beauty of poker is nothing is set in stone, even though in theory, even though I told you if you are out of position that you shouldn't play 9-2, but you can always raise to make you look like you have a premium card. And then you kind of just have to set your brain, okay, just assume that I have an ace-king. How will I play ace-king even though in reality you have 9-2? So this is when most people will go into bluff mode, right? So yeah, I think the four strategies that prove to be an optimal approach to the game, I think is first be selective. Number two is position, know your position and range of cards. And then third is be aggressive. And fourth is unpredictable. Okay, before I tell you how do we apply this to real life, I should also probably tell you that even though this is the optimal strategy, I mean, if you guys have a basic knowledge of game theory, this theory is only optimal if other people also think in the same way. Which means if everyone plays like this, then this will be the most optimum way to win the game. Because when people race and then somebody re-race, that tells you that, okay, maybe he has better hands. But what if that person who re-race actually don't know what he's doing? <laughs> so if you meet 
higher level poker players, they will probably tell you that it is very hard to play against newbies or beginners, even though they are probably easy to exploit with bluff because they're easily scared. But sometimes the fact that they are just so random and just doesn't follow any certain pattern makes it very hard to read their playing style. They can always call your race with 9-2 and then suddenly the board comes 9-9-2 and you are sitting with aces and you think, oh, I don't think many people will call me with 9-2, but well, there you go. Somebody call you with 9-2 and hit a full house. It's just like, you know, think about it this way. You know the game Rock, Paper, Scissors, right? Most people know that Rock, Paper, Scissors is a, is a game with 33.33% percentage, you know, one over three to win, right? Because everyone has three choices. Either you go with Rock, Paper, or scissor. And I'm not sure, but I read an article that says that usually Rock is the better starting move. Don't ask me the reason, I already forgot. But basically, most people have researched and agreed that Rock is the better first move. But if you know that there's this one person who always throws paper every time he plays, then will you still go with the rock? Even though, you know, the research tells you the more optimal way to play is using a rock. Of course, no. You will try to adjust your playing style. This is also the case when you're playing poker. There are so many optimal approaches, but once you see a certain behavior that is exhibited by this person, then you can try to form like a predictive model. You're trying to be like an AI, you know, you're trying to predict what he will be doing next. And this is where the fun comes because this needs careful observation, this needs careful thinking and very, very precise eyes to be able to see all those tells, right? So like, you know, people will say when somebody is bluffing, usually they will try to avoid eye contact. They will like squirm, trying to look weak, they're trying to like think for so long. Of course, these are very open to exploitation. People can purposely do that to act weak, but sometimes you just find this very vanilla, this very, I don't know how to explain this, but it's just like, you know when it happens, you will be certain, okay, this is the truth. He's actually being nervous. And when you can do that, when you can read a person so easily like a book, the feeling, the dopamine rush, wow, it's kind of addicting. So this is what I crave every time I play poker. I, I love the thrill and I want to know if I'm good enough psychologically and statistically. So now, <sighs> let me try to pontificate. <laughs> Fancy word. Let me try to be philosophical. Let me try to let you know what I think can be applied for poker. Okay, first, when I say about being selective, I'm actually talking about everything that we do in life. Very simple, being selective with the people around you. You want to choose who are your premium cards, who are your premium friends, because that will bring you the best probability to hit something on your life. Imagine your life as being like, you know, those board being the flop. It always comes with a price, right? If you want to know something, if you want to know knowledge, you will have to pay for it. But having the right group of friends, having the right group of people around you can facilitate that. I talk about this in my episode one, I think, about why you should choose your friends or something around that line. You should not try to befriend everybody. Next, the position part. Position part. <laughs> position is the same. Dealer button is always rotating. 
So this kind of tells you that life, in life, our position is also always rotating. Sometimes we are in an advantageous position when we have the button. But also we need to acknowledge when we are sitting in a position that is awkward, that you just better fold your cards. You really don't have to play. Just let it go, even though you have... You know, I see in tournaments people folding ace-king just because it's in a weird position. So knowing your position tells you how to be wise with the opportunities that you have around you. Knowing that your timing will always come. So for example, sometimes, you know, maybe in life you miss a promotion at work and you just felt like, ah, oh, that promotion would never come back to me. I will just be a measly staff forever. Actually, you know what? No. Because the position will come back to you as long as you just wait, as long as you're being patient to be dealt the good card in the right position. And also when we're talking about the range of hands, you also kind of give respect when people, let's say, raise you from the small blind. Because it tells you that maybe, most of the time, they're raising with a better hand than you. Because they're in the small blind, they will only play the first and second grade cards. Of course, there's chance of bluffing, but you will always lose in poker if you keep thinking, you know, other people are bluffing, I don't believe them. No, you have to believe them. Even if you have good cards, most of the time, like 7 out of 10, you have to respect when people raise you from the small blind or from the big blind. Because they're actually in a vulnerable position, but they have the guts to raise you. This reflects their strength when playing their hand, you see. So even in real life, sometimes you know you're probably right, but the fact that he has better positions than you, let's say if you're arguing with a boss, even if it's wrong, but the fact that you're in a lower position, you just have to respect him. He might just be bluffing his way, he's just bullshitting you, talking about blah blah blah, just because he's the CEO, he must be right. But Yes, it's not right, but you just have to respect that position. <laughs> you guys are like, yeah, this guy, this guy's talking nonsense. Well, what can I say? So, moving on. The third point, aggressive. Those who lead always usually wins. So, if you're familiar with my episode on sales and negotiation, I think that's in an episode about a book review by Chris Voss. Many people and researchers and all famous philosophers, they know that usually those who start first will be advantageous. Exactly just what I told you when I explain in poker language. When you start first, you can gauge where you are and where other people are based on their responses. Even in the world of negotiation, they always tell you, name a price first and people will be anchored to that price. That's why you see sellers putting their cups that cost them only $5, but they sell it at $50. That's because they know you will probably negotiate trying to ask for a discount. Then they would probably say, okay, 30 is good. You know, most customers will say, can I have this at 30 or 25? And they would feel good because they got the cup at 50% discount. But <laughs> little that they know, the seller has jacked the price up by what, five to 10 folds and is now basking himself with profit. So even in a relationship, right, usually you want to be the one who lead. We will be talking another whole different topic if we talk about men and women. But most of the times, no matter if you're a man or you're a woman, you want to try throwing the bait first, right? You text him or you text her and see if he or she replies in such an enthusiastic manner that you can see, oh, maybe he also likes me or oh, maybe she also likes me. But you can never know until you make the first move. Even in poker, sometimes you will meet the situation where you have the top pair, but the board is so wet, which means that the board contains so many probabilities of a flush or a straight 
For example, the board is Ace of Diamond, Three of Diamond, Five of Diamond, Six of Diamond, Seven of Diamonds. I mean, this is like an exaggerated example. But from that board, it's so easy for people to have a flush. It's so easy for people to have a straight. Whereas you only sits there with an Ace King. Or even if you have an Ace Ace, you have a Trips, you're most probably vulnerable to those combos, right? Because you will still lose either way. When I first start the game, I would usually just check and let the people bet because I'm scared. I'm scared that they might have better hands. But the more I play, the more I realize that no, even in this situation, I would have to bet. I'm actually forced to bet because the logical reasoning is that if I raise and then people just call, it means that they have a mediocre hands and probably I would win with ace-ace because I have trips. Let's say if they have double pair, they have like a 5-6 and they make a double pair and they call you with your bet, then it makes sense. But if they re-raise you, it means most likely, most probably they are ahead of you. You will have to reanalyze the whole scenario again from the beginning to the end, from how they play, they flop, they turn their river. But as I said, most likely than not, they will be ahead of you. And this is only possible. This kind of conclusion is only possible if you bet first. <laughs> so somehow I... Somehow I just thought of this advice that my friend used to give me when I was in college, you know. If you go out on a date with a girl and you never try to kiss her, then you will never know if you can actually kiss her, right? Anyway, this is probably like a bad illustration of the bet and getting re-raised, but I don't know, this is like a very random thought. Anyway, finally, being unpredictable. Being unpredictable, as, I, as I've already mentioned, it teaches you to be versatile. It teaches you not to just act the same way. So being unpredictable means that you can adjust yourself to different situations. And even when you don't have a good card, you can always you can always try to make the best advantage of it. Let's say in the language of poker, it means to re-raise so that it looks like you have the better cards. And even in the same way in our jobs, let's say, you know the terms fake it till you make it, right? Sometimes really the best response is for you to just say yes first to the job and then figure out later how to do the job. If you're just like, okay, maybe I just know Microsoft Word, so somebody give me a job about Microsoft Excel, then yeah, I probably wouldn't be able to do it that well. But in some scenarios, only when you're being given that Microsoft Excel task will you then start to learn about Microsoft Excel. So being unpredictable, it, it doesn't mean that you're just being like crazy and wild with your decision, but actually you're trying to act outside of your status quo while at the same time always be thinking, what is the probability for me to survive when I'm outside my comfort zone? If you think about what I've said in this whole episode, poker is actually a very method methodical game. There are so many quantitative analysis involved in every move. And I think this is a smarter way, even as we approach life, that we try to always reason with what we want to do. Of course, this is very hard, even especially for me. If you know my MBTI, I'm like ESFP. I'm a very emotional person. I am very rash, I'm very impulsive. My emotions most of the time guide my decision making. But by playing poker, I actually learn to be more careful and do things step by step. Always be measuring the risk involved. Should I just fold? Should I just call? You know, even the act of folding, it shows humility, no? Knowing that sometimes it sucks when you have the top pair and then suddenly the flush came and then people just bet you like crazy and you really want to call but you can't because now there's a higher chance that they have the flush and you don't have the best hand. So you just have to let go. I learned it the hard way. You know, I call and then I lost a lot of money. 
<laughs> I mean, I don't play high stakes poker, but still, it hurts when you lose, you know? People just don't like losing, no matter the amount of money. So, oh my god, I just looked at my duration and I, I can't believe I spoke way, way, way longer than I expected. So, anyway, <laughs> just to have a brief recap, right? Wow, this is so long. If you're really listening until this part, then I am impressed. Let me know if you managed to listen to the whole episode. Okay, anyway, just to give a brief recap of what we have been, or rather I have been talking about, is first, poker is a very analytical game. There are optimal ways to play it, assuming that everybody also plays according to the same optimum strategy. Otherwise, we will have to adjust. But the optimum strategy has four points. First, is to be selective. Don't play all the cards. Second, know your position, know where you are, and respect the hand ranges that other people might possess. Third, be aggressive. Those who lead usually wins. And the number four, be unpredictable, be versatile. So with all these points, apply to your life. I think there's so much things to learn in poker. We're just actually talking about the game. We haven't even talked about the psychological aspect of the game. When will people tend to bluff? How will people tend to bluff? What kind of movement will they exhibit? What kind of... Uh, I don't think there's actually enough time in a podcast to discuss all that. But anyway, yeah, this is how I interpret what I've learned over around one year of playing poker. I greatly enjoy the game, and I see myself going to continue playing. I'm still a terrible player, but I think I am now much more knowledgeable than I used to be, which is why I want to share it with you guys. So tell me, what do you think? Do you play poker? If you play poker, how have you been enjoying the game? Do you only play it for recreational purpose or do you also take it very seriously like what i just told you why don't you tell me your biggest winning so far I mean, that would be fun right we can compare okay you win this much i win this much you lose this much i lose that much <laughs> anyways i've been talking for so long i'm so thirsty right now thank you so much for listening you know i appreciate you guys i really hope you have a good day have a good weekend and an even better one ahead bye bye